This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And Wednesday morning here on Birds 365, as we come to you on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, Krause and Johnny Mack getting back. Yeah, how here about that? On a Wednesday morning. You just never know, uh, Johnny Mack, um, when you will find a little nugget of surprise to begin your day, but Birds 365 yeah. Uh, in for Jody Mack, Joe Krause here with you, uh, at least to get us started and get underway. Uh, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Still got the Cal Ripken going, the Iron Man streak. Now I can, uh, I can, I can give Jody Mack a little business when he does get on. So yeah, no, absolutely. I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, and glad to be able to jump in instead of just absorbing and listening, uh, Johnny Mack, to the show on a daily basis, just like our viewers do on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Uh, now glad to be able to uh, jump back in. I haven't been in the seat since the schedule release, and I don't know if anything has changed uh, between the time that we sat down and did these big three-and-a-half-hour schedule release event uh, up till now. A lot of ground covered, including yesterday, um, which I may be – I may not be in the norm with this thinking, Johnny Mac, but I feel yesterday's conversations with the position coaches told us a lot, maybe more than we're paying attention to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the first time we got to talk to the uh, position uh, coaches, Kraus. The offensive assistants uh, were yesterday. Today, this afternoon, we'll get to talk to some of the defensive assistants. Uh, Jeff Stoutman was the only one who didn't speak. He's going to go with the defense today. But, that you know, Jeff Stoutman essentially is the only guy we really know well. So we already kind of know his philosophy, his ability, what he wants to accomplish with with what has been one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Everybody else, man, knew. Aaron Moorhead was here for a year uh, under Doug Peterson. He was the other carryover on the offensive side of the staff. He's the receivers coach. But even so, we got a year. We don't know that much about him. You shift thinking with Nick Sirianni, who coached the position, wide receivers. You know, that's sort of his background. Um, everybody has a background before they become a, a, a head coach in this league. Krause, even the passing game coordinator, Kevin Petullo, coach receivers. So there's a lot of expertise at that particular position. And by the way, I think that's a good thing because, as we all know, what has been the biggest bugaboo of this team over the past certainly two years uh, the wide receiver position, and they have to get going in the right direction. Um, Jamal Singleton, the new running backs coach, assistant head coach, really impressive guy, Krause. You could see what the Eagles saw in him, uh, former Air Force cadet. He went to the Air Force Academy. 
Um, you could see sort of that military background in him, the structure, his ability to communicate with people. Uh, I think there's a lot of positive there. And I think he's going to be a good sounding board for Nick Sirianni as a head coach because got no experience. You're learning on the job. That's one of those jobs. You, you know, in this politicized environment, Krause, everybody argues politics all the time. You know, my guy's not has no experience to be president. This guy's not got no experience. This guy does, blah, blah. Nobody has any experience to be president until you're president. Sort of like a head coach in the National Football League. Nobody is ready to be a head coach in the National Football League until they get the job and you sort of learn on the fly, learn on the job. I don't want to be repetitive, and you may have covered this with uh, Jody Mack as the uh, pre-camp of your your visits to uh, Eagles camp uh, during the month of May. Um, you had firsthand opportunity when you were allowed to be there uh, to watch and look and see uh, Nick Sirianni at work. Um, you can compare him to many previous head coaches, Johnny Mack. What did that look like? What was Nick a fish out of water? Was Nick in control and in command? Was he feeling himself out? What did the process look like? No, I mean, look, when, when I say you don't have any experience being a head coach, it, it generally involves this stuff off the field. Uh, there's, a, there's so many ancillary parts of that job that people don't even think about. And the one thing that every first-time head coach has told me is, man, I didn't know how much uh, other stuff I had to do. In other words, other stuff that didn't involve football. When they're on the field, they're like a fish in water. I mean, that's where they feel comfortable. Um, and Nick's been around football practices his entire life. His family is a football family. His, his, his father was a head coach, obviously, at a lower level. His brothers are head coaches. So he knows how to run a practice. He knows how to go about it. There's some competitive aspects. You know, you've probably seen Krause people talking about tetherball and uh, competition and backpedaling races. Um, so he tries to get guys involved, engaged. And, and by the way, I think that's a good thing because football practice is boring for those who don't know. I mean, if you're there. there Johnny Mack, there is that need from the head coach there is that need to be able to command a certain presence amongst everybody else that's there. Was that, did Nick have that presence? That's kind of to be determined. I think he has the presence. My concern, he's a very energetic guy. When you talk to the Eagles players, that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth, not only about Nick Sirianni, but, the, the coaching staff in general. It's very young. It's very inexperienced group. And I've said this er, earlier this week on the show, Krause, this is one of those situations, everything in the NFL, let's be, let's be honest, everything in the NFL comes down to winning and losing. If you win, nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to say a peep. If you lose, you know, all this other stuff comes up. Perfect example of this is Carson Wentz. You know, nobody had a problem with Carson Wentz when the team was winning. All of a sudden, when they're losing, 
Oh, he's aloof. He doesn't get everybody engaged. Well, he didn't change. He was the same guy from day one to the last day in Philadelphia. Um, so it, it's always about winning and losing. My point with that is some of the some of the out of the box stuff, the tetherball contest, the the backpedaling races. You know, if the Eagles start losing, if they're zero and four, if they're zero and five, you know, some uh, Debbie Downers are saying zero and six because of the first part of their schedule. Then all of a sudden, you're going to start hearing about that stuff. You're going to start hearing about. Oh, this is a high school guy. This is Rob Rob. This is that. But only if if you lose, if you win, Krause, you can do whatever the heck you want. And people are going to say, wow, this guy's this guy's a genius. This guy's so innovative. So you kind of know how that works. It's Birds 365 with Jody Mack and Johnny Mack. Joe Krause sitting in for Jody Mack to kick it off uh, on a Wednesday across the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Shout out to everybody uh, tuning in and being a part of Birds 365. Uh, the train keeps rolling forward, Johnny Mack, with Birds 365. I'll use just a minute to segue and let everybody know we've got a great lineup planned for the fall Obviously, with Birds 365, your ability to cover the team from the inside and from the outside is going to provide uh, for all of our subscribers of the Jacob Media YouTube channel a real opportunity to get an inside look, get the real story, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you uh, be part of uh, Birds 365. Coming up a little bit later on in the first hour of the two-hour program, Ed Kratz from Sports Illustrated uh, will jump on board and we'll bring Ed into the uh, conversation. I know you guys fondly refer to Ed um, as coming in out of the bullpen uh, as the Mariano mm -hmm. Rivera of Birds yeah. 365, uh, but we'll bring him into the uh, into the chatter as well. Yeah, and Ed obviously covers uh, the team with me on a daily basis over at Sports Illustrated, so uh, nobody's better plugged in, and that's what we do on the show. We've gotten so many people already uh, from not only a local but a national perspective. And, hey, you know, National Football Show. Dan Cilio's doing a great job. Some of the guests over there uh, from a national perspective have been phenomenal. And the one thing, Krause, you know, we've been able to get Am Amy Trask on this program. Mike Tannenbaum, the ex-GM of the Jets, was on. Randy Mueller, the ex-GM in New Orleans, longtime executive. Andrew Brett, on and on and on. So you get these deep perspectives into the team and how it's being built. And it's really interesting because everything is so new and everything is coming off the Super Bowl, uh, you know, which is, I think people forget such a short time ago, Super Bowl 52. So the fact that we're, we're sitting here, we're doing this program, we're talking about Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. We're not talking about Doug Peterson. We're not talking about Carson Wentz. It's pretty amazing. Life moves fast is what I'm trying to say, Joe Crow. Yeah, and I know you had just mentioned 0-4, 0-5, 0-6, it made me remember our, <clears throat> our conversation uh, about the opening six games. We covered the entire schedule when we did the schedule release uh, three uh, three hour plus broadcast, but we did talk Johnny Mac about that opening six games. What would it be if the team went zero and six? 
what would it look like? And of course they open up with Atlanta and now Julio <laughs> Jones is out of there. So yeah. I'm thinking, Hey, Hey, maybe that gives us a little bit of a better chance now uh, that Julio's not going to be in the building, but your thoughts on that. Well, number one, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I always say in the NFL, look, if you want to be a pessimist, you can talk yourself into things because everybody has good players in the NFL. There's not a, you know, Alabama versus whatever, you know, Xander, who was on that schedule, maybe Xander will pop in the Citadel or somebody like that, where you know, my point is, you know, Alabama's going to win that football game. You know, basically eight, maybe eight or nine games, you literally know, Joe Krause, that Alabama's going to win. Doesn't happen in the NFL. So, if you want to sit there and you want to wring your hands and say, oh, opening day, they're in Atlanta, new head coach, new quarterback, how are you going to win that football game? You could do it. If you want to point out Nick Bosa's back for San Francisco, you can do it and say they were a Super Bowl team a very short time ago. If you want to talk about the weapons with the Dallas Cowboys and Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott being back, you can do it. The Kansas City Chiefs are talking about 20-0. and 0. You can certainly talk yourself into them being a good football team. Matt Rule in Carolina, you talk about Sam Darnold, and, and they're shifting, and he's going in the right direction. Uh, and then the Super Bowl champions are that sixth game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So guess what, Krause? They're a pretty good football team. Well, well when you say it, Johnny Mac, when you say it that way? Yeah, that's that's my point. Oh, shit. Wow, we might be 0-6. I mean, I don't know. Do you say, is there somebody right now in Kansas City? Is there yes, somebody that's right what now I'm trying to say. in yes. Dallas saying, oh, my God, uh, you know, Nick Sirianni and Nick Sirianni's coming in. He's got this. He's got that. He's got a strong defensive front. He's got one of the best offensive lines in the, you know, in the National Football well, League. I would they're say, healthy. Yeah. Are they I would scared? say no. no. I would say no. There are not people in Kansas City or Dallas saying Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts. But I would say, Joe, I would say there are people in Can even in Kansas City saying, "Oh, you know what? If they're hand ringers, they're going. Oh, Lane Johnson's going to be healthy. Brandon Brooks is going to be healthy. Jason Kelsey's still out there. Um, the, the defensive line, Fletcher Cox is still good." Brandon Graham. So they're talking themselves into, oh, that might be tougher mm. than people think it is, but from a different way. No, they're they're probably not looking at the quarterback and, and the head coach and saying that's a really difficult matchup. But they are talking about it on other places of the field. John, I've heard you say this many times, John McMullen. This is a evolving league this is a passing league this is a high scoring league and if Jalen Hurts and the weapons that he has on offense don't fall into a category of being a conversation by the opposing team or being a threat to the opposing team just from a standpoint of yeah. saying that does does scare me listen I want him to win I want the Eagles to be competitive. I don't want to misinterpret what I'm saying here. I want them to win. I just don't know right now, and I know it's early. I don't know how good of a football team this is going to be. 
I think it's fair. I mean, we have so many national experts on this show. They all have the Eagles basically at the bottom of the league, bottom five. Maybe the optimistic ones have them as the 24th or 25th team in the power rankings. Point is, uh, Joe, not many people think this is going to be a good football team. But as I said in life, things change quickly. Things change quickly. And if Miles Sanders turns into Miles Sanders like he was a rookie and Devontae Smith hits the ground running and he looks like the Heisman Trophy winner that he was at Alabama, that can change quickly. And you could say, wow, the Eagles got some explosive players. And that's what I'm saying. Everybody in the NFL has good players. Everybody, including the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, Johnny, when you compare and you look at – talk about Lane, you mentioned Lane, you talk about – uh, the offensive line and the ability um, or where that offensive line is positioned going into the season. I go back to Carson's final year, and I don't want to get into a Carson Wentz conversation. I get it. But one of the, one of the issues that was constantly talked about was the amount of pressure <clears throat> that Carson Wentz was under the amount of pressure that was coming from the defense. Is that, will that be the same pressure on Jalen Hurts? And if the answer is yes, what does that mean? Other than perhaps Jalen can extend the play, uh, you know, a little better than Carson now, um, might be the same result. Well, I do think, At times, people are going to say the pass protection is not great for the same reason. You know, one thing Carson and Jalen have in common is they like to hold on to the football uh, a little bit longer. They like to try to extend plays. And, you know, Frank Reich always told me the quarterback has a large impact on pass protection. In other words, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, quarterbacks like that, they're never sacked for a reason because the football comes out of their hands. They understand there's an internal clock. I can extend plays, so I'm going to get the football out of my hand. Other quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, perfect example. They get sacked a lot. Why do they get sacked a lot? Yeah, Partially because they haven't had great offensive lines, but also because they hold on to the football and they try to extend plays. So you're going to get some sacks. So if you're just looking at, oh, Jalen Hurts is going to get sacked, yeah, it probably is a little bit more than certainly the league average. Birds 365 with Jody Mack and Johnny Mack across the Jacob Media YouTube channel. I already blew past my first break, you Johnny Mack. <laughs> uh, we'll get to a commercial break. Back in a moment. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. 
Go to Steersnacks.com and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, pure bull dry rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. All right, here's a bit of a surprise. You guys get stuck with me now for the next hour and 40 minutes. Here on Bridge 365, one of your M's, Jody Mack, just hopping in. Damn, I haven't, I couldn't tell you the last time I overslept for anything. I mean, it's been years since I last overslept. I never put my alarm on last night when I went to bed after getting off the air on WIP after a uh, Phillies loss and a Sixers win. It was actually a pretty good night, Uh, more good than bad. Uh, yours truly went to bed and just I woke up 12 minutes ago, whatever that was, and uh, set it up here as quickly as possible. My apologies, John McMullen. Thank you very much, Mr. Krauss. And uh, how hey, are Joe, you today, Mr. Krauss? Hey, Jody, all uh, listen, all good. Uh, things work out sometimes for a reason. It gave me an opportunity before I exit off the show uh, to at least put out there, and I'll we'll follow up as Birds 365 rolls on with the details, um, but we will be sending to Atlanta, we will be sending one lucky winner, one lucky fan from Birds 365, we will be sending them down to Atlanta for that opening game in September, more details to follow on how you can get engaged to win those tickets. Uh, but we're going to give away a pair of tickets for the opening game. 
hotel accommodations, all kinds of good stuff uh, coming up. And on that note, I'll turn the show back over uh, to all of the experts, Jody John and Ed Kratz joining you now. Thank you very much, Krause. And uh, if you do win and you get to go to Atlanta for that opener, Krause promises not to make you wear that hat. That one was a little loud. Uh, I'm, I'm a Kanga guy too, but you that just one got was, up. You're not can't be jumped. Yeah, that that's yeah. hurt my eyes a little yeah. bit. That uh, 15 minutes after rolling out of the sack. Yeah. Uh, John, good morning. Thank you very much again. I apologize. Ed Kratz from SI, our favorite guest, is with us. Ed, how was your night? <laughs> not as late as yours, apparently, Jody. Um, but listen, I love that hat Krause you had on there. I, you know, that, that, that to me is a silver lining for you sleeping in Jody. We would not have seen that hat here on birds. Three sixty five had you been on time. That is a good point. That is a good hat. Ned, uh, you mentioned that Atlanta trip, no Julio Jones. And maybe you can kick Trey Young in the shins if you're a Sixers fan. (laughs) I'm guessing you were watching the Sixers last night. That's my guess. Uh, yeah, I absolutely was. Um, you know, and listen, this Atlanta team's tough. I mean, they, yeah, they, they, gave, the, uh, they gave the Sixers all they can handle for four quarters. And uh, if not for Shake Milton, that game might have had a different outcome. I mean, I know yeah, NBA had that? the 40 points, but, man, Shake came in. They they just fell on down by one point. And he came out firing. Uh, it was great to see. But I think it's going to be a fun, entertaining series. I think it's going to go seven games, to be honest. I, I, really I think do. we all knew it was going to be a shake one. So I'm going to ask Ed Kratz and Jody McDonald, your favorite shake. Uh, shake Shack? Shake and Bake? Shake Milton? Wow. Which one? <laughs> or, or or could be something else. Favorite shake? I got, one. shake. I, I got one. I got one. McDonald's shake. A, a friendly fribble. Has always been my favorite shake. Outstanding milkshake go. at Friendly's. You got to get the sprinkles put in before they actually do the... Some people like sprinkles on their shakes. I, I like it chopped up. You got to tell the person and you sit there and explain it. And they look at you like, yeah, what kind of customer are you? Are you going to tell me how to do my job? Yes. Put the sprinkles in before you actually start the shake. Yeah, I'm a shake snob, as you're finding out. I apologize for that, too. First, I show up late, then I prove that I'm a shake snob. <laughs> For one day at least, 24 hours, Shake Milton is the correct answer. Probably only in Philadelphia, though. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the um, the DQ shake, just basic chocolate shake. You know, it's uh, that's probably my favorite. I am not a shake snob. Um, but I think this would be a great opportunity for friendlies to maybe do some advertising on Birds 365 here. Get there, there you go. go. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big purple guy. Yeah. Uh, and I will, uh, if I have to, I'll do a tutorial on how to make the best shake. But And, and real quick, and we got to talk about the Eagles, but my wife is like you, Jody. She forces me to say, put the sprinkles on the bottom. And I feel like such an a-hole every time I have to do it. Because <laughs> people look at me like, who is this? annoying person and i feel just like the whole world is looking at me I, evidently i'm not the only person so you right. maybe feel oh that. yeah now i was just gonna say join my life uh 365 days a year yeah. i always feel like an a-hole so uh <laughs> if you got to do it every once in a while and eh, tough you know what all right let's get ed back to his wheelhouse assistant coaches position coaches ed we got to talk to him the offensive assistants Yesterday, minus Jeff Stoutland, but most of them, most of them knew. We knew Aaron Moorhead a little bit. Uh, just your your first thoughts on this staff and how it's coming together, and 
and some of the guys who spoke. Yeah, we're, we're going to get Stout later here on uh, Wednesday, and I'm sure he'll fill it up for us as he always does. Uh, great interview, Jeff Stoutland is. But, uh, you know, my first impressions, I, you know, I, I like this staff. I think it's a pretty uh, intelligent, uh, real thoughtful staff. I think uh, what I really liked was, uh, you know, I know Brian Johnson didn't exactly fill it up for us uh, in terms of answers to the questions, um, but that's okay. I think I, I liked what Kevin Petula said about, Johnson and it's the same thing Nick Sirianni told us you know when he hired Johnson is bringing him from the college uh, ranks he's going to bring a fresh set of ideas and I think I liked what Petulo said about that is they're kind of picking his brain to see if they can find some cutting edge stuff uh, to kind of throw out there and make defenses react to it Um, because and Petulo said you know when you can find uh, you know cutting edge type of things things that defenses haven't seen before then that gives you an advantage and that makes them have to adjust and kind of catch up to what you're doing and I and I think they're kind of relying on Johnson uh, in that department is to bring some kind of fresh ideas from college uh, to maybe introduce some things to the Eagles offense that NFL defenses haven't seen we'll see what that's going to be but uh, overall I thought that the staff to me the the five assistants that we got yesterday uh, impressed me I think there's it's a smart group uh, it's a young, enthusiastic group. And, uh, you know, whether or not they can coach on game day and make the in-game adjustments, you know, we're going to have to wait and see about that. But I, my first impressions of the, these guys they gave us on Tuesday uh, were pretty good, I think. Let me ask either of you guys, since you're both uh, beat guys, I'm not. This is year two of you guys having to do your job virtually. I don't remember this particular day last year where they made – all the assisting coaches virtually available. This had to be a little bit of a different experience for you guys. Years gone by, you just try and grab them outside the locker room. You set something up if you can get a one-on-one with them. But this is a little different than anything you've ever done before. Um, are the Eagles, I'm sure the Eagles are trying to be courteous and they're trying to let you guys do your job. But uh, why do you think they decided to uh, make this time of year the time for you guys to have access to their assistant coaches. Well, that Ed explained, uh, but they always have these days. Typically, yeah. we don't get to talk to the assistant coaches um, coming off the field or anything like that. So generally, you know, pre-pandemic days, we would have them all at one time in the facility, uh, you know, in the indoor uh, bubble or uh, next to the practice field, uh, and we'd get them all in one day maybe offense, defense split. Last year, they did the same thing via Zoom. I believe, and Ed, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was in season last year, but the assistants weren't new. So they gave them a little bit earlier this year, um, which is good. And, you know, Zoom stinks, but it is what it is. Yeah, the the NFL requires uh, assistant coaches, you know, position coaches to be made available. I believe it's twice a year. I think it's um, once once a month it's supposed to be. I yeah, I, I know we've gotten them, I think, twice. I know we usually get them <clears throat> during training camp at some point. We'll probably get them again, uh, you yeah. know, as training camp unfolds, you know, in July and August. Um, and they, they make them available usually around this time of year. Like John said, I think it was a little earlier last year. But this year it's, it felt awfully late. You know, I mean, they brought these guys in in, you know, January and February, and we're just kind of getting our – you know, our eyes and ears on them, you know, six months later. Um, But, you know, look, better late than never. Uh, 
you know, because I thought, you know, typically, uh, you know, the assistants to me, you know, especially after they've been here a while, you know, it's not a real big to me. It's not a real big deal. I don't think I know to others it is. But yesterday was kind of a big deal because they are so new, because they are so young. Uh, and we wanted to hear what they had to say. And I thought, you know, Jamal Singleton, the running back coach, was was very good. And even Aaron Moorhead, one of the few uh, returning coaches, along with Jeff Stoutland, um, really had a lot of good things to say. Um you know, one thing I liked what he said about the receiving core was, and this was kind of interesting. He says, you know, we, we want to be the young guys. We want to be the happy guys. We want to walk around with the energy and the smiles on our faces because that receiving group is so young. And he said, you know, there's grumpy, you know, there's going to be a lot of grumpy people in the right. building. In the and, line room. <laughs> yeah, And then he mentioned that, but before he said the yeah. old line room, I'm thinking, I wonder if he's talking about Alshon Jeffrey is one of those. Oh, grumpy old guys. Uh, so, <laughs> You know, that was kind of interesting to hear him say that, you know, they want to be that to provide the juice all day uh, because they're a young group and because they have the fresh legs and they want to be yeah. the guy that guys that bring the smiles. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, one of the things Ed and, and I wrote about it at SI.com, you can read me and Ed at SI.com backslash NFL backslash Eagles. But um you know, Jason Michaels, the new tight ends coach, I asked him about Zach Ertz. Now, he's got no power. Um, he's not uh, – no assistant coach in this league is really involved in player personnel procurement. Um, but I found it interesting that he wants to keep those avenues of communication open, Ed, just in case. We're here. Jody likes to say, where are we, Jody? June what? June 9th. Um Zach Ertz is still here. At, at some yeah. point, you know, the rubber's got to hit the road. And if Jason Michael's got to coach him, he's got to communicate with him. So he's keeping those those lines of communication open. Yeah, I thought it was a good question. No, no doubt. I mean, I, it was interesting to hear him say that he's keeping those communication lines open. And, you know, but, you know, exploring that tight end position even further, everybody yeah. talks about this cornerback too. Uh, position who's going to play cornerback two behind Slay? I mean, I think a very underrated, or you know, a, kind of an unsold storyline so far has been the backup tight end. I mean, who is going to fill that role behind Dallas Goddard? Um, you know, this team wants to play some twelve personnel, not as much as Doug Peterson uh, and his group did, but uh, you know, Nick Sirianni played twelve personnel in Indianapolis, had some good tight ends there. But who's going to fill that number two tight end role behind Goddard? Uh, if it's I not hope it's Tyree Jackson. I just want to see it. I want to see that guy on the field. It is amazing just to see him there on the sidelines. We were there, was it Friday? Uh, mm -hmm. Last Friday for the OTA practice. Man, he is big, Ed Cratch. 6'7", <laughs> uh, 250, 255. And they say Dallas Goddard is 6'5", and I've stood next to Dallas. He looks every bit as six up 6'5". He dwarfed him. I, <laughs> if they say it's only two inches, he looked like his little brother type of situation. Now, I don't think he's going to be on the field. He used to play. And by the way, I can't imagine this guy playing quarterback. Jody, you watched him play quarterback. Yes. Imagine that guy playing quarterback. The size of that position it's so intriguing to me, but yeah, it's not going to be Zach Ertz. So I'll get the platform back to you on the backup tight ends. Ed. He did a he did a great job of shedding tackles when he would drop back for uh, Buffalo. He was that big as a quarterback. 
pretty inaccurate with his arm, and that's why he didn't make it in the league. But if you tell me he's added at quarterback, I guess he probably played at two two eighteen, two twenty. He wasn't two two forty or two fifty, so he's put on weight to become a tight end. But he was that big. I did watch him play at Buffalo. Here's the uh, tight end question I got for you, Ed Kratz. Well, you keep throwing this guy's name out there, and the Eagles don't end up making any move. But well, Richard Rodgers was pretty good last year. He did a nice job as the uh, uh, TE3 coming off the bench and filling in when guys were hurt, either Goddard or Ertz in front of him. Um, we're all waiting for a cornerback signing. Uh, yeah, there's a good chance there'll be another tight end signing. Uh, none of the assistant coaches gave you any hints as to when we could be seeing that, right? No, I mean, look, it was tried. One of the reporters tried to ask Jason Michael that question about Richard Rogers, and, you know, hey, that's Howie's department. You know, they're all going to kind of shrug that off and say you got to talk to Howie or even Nick, Nick Sirianni about that. But, um, yeah, you know, Rogers did do well. I, clearly last year when, when both tight ends yeah. were Ertz and Goddard weren't around for a couple games, and, you know, Rogers stepped in and did well. You know, he's got limitations for sure. Um, I think the Eagles right now would kind of prefer to see once camp starts what they have uh, behind him. I'm sure they already have some kind of ideas in their mind, and maybe they do feel at this point that we need another tight end. So let's keep our our eyes open over these next few weeks to see what we can do. But um, Tyree Jackson's not going to be the answer. As tall as he is, and I noticed that at the first practice, guys, when when they rolled out the OTAs first day, I'm just looking at this guy, and he's wearing – I think he's number 80, and I'm looking at my roster. I'm like, who the heck – is this guy in there and Tyree Jackson. So, you know, he's certainly an eyeful when you see him, he's a big dude, but you know, Jason Michael said, look, you know, there's a lot for him to learn, you know, just right. coming out of a stance, your left-hand stance, right-hand stance, learning how to run a pattern. You know, he's, he's a work in progress and he's practice squad at best. In my opinion, I think maybe someone to keep an eye on is this undrafted free agent. Uh, Jack Stoll, who Jason Michael talked about, you know, really liking his football IQ. Uh, he's a good blocker. Um, you know, he did a good job at Nebraska. So, I, you know, maybe Stoll is going to be this guy that they think enough of that maybe he can kind of give him some snaps as the backup, you know, tight end. I, I don't know. You wonder about Hakeem Butler, someone <laughs> trying to make the transition from wide receiver, another really big guy, about 6'5". Um, but can he block? Uh, you know, because I think the tight end, the backup tight ends job in this offense is going to be a lot of run blocking, um, in my opinion, and, and maybe going out for patterns. But I think this backup tight end is going to need to know how to block. Um, and I'm not sure Butler can do that. Maybe Jason Kroon can. He's been around a little bit. But, uh, you know, Jack Stoll, to me, he's done it at Nebraska. He, he could kind of be the front runner to be the backup tight end at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually wrote about Jack as well uh, about a week or 10 days ago, Ed, and I think he's a front runner too. It's hard to talk about an undrafted guy as a front runner, but the people on here, you're right about Tyree Jackson. That was kind of tongue in cheek, but I do look at Logan Thomas in Washington and say, that's the template. That's what they're going for, but it's going to be a multi-year process if it works to shift over to tight end. More important part, which I think you hit on, Look, the reason they want Dallas Goddard is a great blocker, but they want to take advantage of him detached from the formation as a receiver. To do that, you need a blocker. So I think you're on to something with Jack Stoll because he's capable of doing that. I, I do want to shift to Jamal Singleton because 
to me, and I told you this off the air, he was the most impressive guy to me. I, I My biggest concern about Nick Sirianni, and I've said this pretty consistently, if you look at Sean McVay in Los Angeles, they gave him Wade Phillips to start. If you look at uh, Matt Nagy in, in Chicago, they gave him Vic Fangio to start. If, if, you always have this, you know, Matt LaFleur had Mike Pettin. You always have this veteran sounding board. It, and maybe Jamal Singleton isn't a former head coach or people look at him as a future head coach, but he's a guy with some experience and he just, he just commands the room. It's a zoom room, but I'm really impressed by that guy. Did you, did you get some of those same feelings about Jamal Singleton? Well, I did. And, you know, he's got the assistant head coach role and whatever that is, he was asked exactly what's that going to entail. And he really didn't uh, have an answer for that. I guess they're still kind of, you know, feeling along uh, what that role is going to be. But, uh, you know, you're right. I think he will be a sounding board. And, you know, you mentioned those coaches with their veteran sounding boards. I mean, Peterson had Schwartz uh, yeah. you know, back in the back, you know, the past few years. But, uh, you know, I was impressed with Singleton. I mean, he's an Air Force graduate. Uh, you know, he's a bright guy. Um, he's been around the league for a number of years uh, coaching running backs. Um, and I love that drill that he put. <laughs> that drill was great too yeah we saw that friday at the link you know they had that series of uh, dummy bags laid flat and they gave um uh, the running backs the ball with a, a cord attached to it and they had the, the running backs had to run that circuit through the bags showing their footwork and all the while singleton would try to yank on that cord to pull the ball out of the running back and by the way and on the back end they had that kid behind with a right. with a boxing glove right. on a stick right. Yeah. prodding them as he's doing it i yeah. thought it was great and a lot of guys you know guys didn't make it through and if you if you oh, the, ball, the ball bobbled you had to start over and sirianni was standing right there watching it and i was it was right in front of us yeah um i got a lot i shot a lot of great video of it that's on our our site yeah. um but yeah he you know it, they'd have to start over if if singleton would pull that ball and it would bobble or come loose Start over, and Sirianni's like, lock that elbow. You have to lock that elbow. But I like how they're preaching the fundamentals and technique. That's what this whole three-week OTA period was about, was fundamentals, technique, improving the craft. Um, you could argue that, yeah, it would have been nice to get some team drills in there yeah. uh, to see how they perform in seven-on-sevens, 11-on-elevens. But, you know, apparently that's going to wait until training camp. I, it, whether that's right or wrong, I, I don't know. Well, it remains to be seen. Hey, before I do, you I... jump in, Jody, real quick, because I want to talk about that drill. Um, I don't, I don't notice it, if you saw Elijah Holyfield, who's Evander Holyfield's son, for people that don't know, really powerful guy. He he was the only one who could hold on to the football. But I don't know if you noticed that he kept his eyes kept going down, and he was looking at the football, trying to hold it into his big, powerful arms, which he could do. But Singleton was right on him. He's like, you got to have your eyes up or you're going to get whacked. And the minute he put his eyes up, he'd lose the football. So <laughs> I, I, I I, just thought it was a phenomenal drill. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm in love with Jamal Singleton. Platonic love, but I think he's a great coach. Yeah, I love, I'm in love with event, um, Elijah Holyfield. I mean, I, last year I was screaming for them to give him a chance. I would like to see what he can do. As that short yardage type back, you know, that big back that can hammer, uh, you know, between the tackles, um, you know, whether or not he ever gets the chance, who knows? You, you certainly didn't uh, give him a good endorsement there with, uh, you know, him with his eyes down. I didn't notice that. That's that's good eyes by you. Uh, 
I, I didn't see that that part of the drill. But um, yeah, I, I guess you know he's going to have a hard time making the team. A lot of competition in that running back room. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if Holyfield makes it this year. Sorry to say, Ed, but I, um, I want to go back over to the defensive side of the ball. Again, you guys talked to uh, assistant coaches only yesterday, not to coordinator. Jonathan Gannon wasn't there. He's been a very interesting guy, and you guys have seen the minimum amount of uh, workouts and gathering time that you have. We still don't know what kind of system that he's going to run. And I don't think we will know until Eagles get out there shoot. I don't know that we will through preseason. They might try and just keep everything under wraps until the regular season actually hits. Did you get any more hints from, from what Gannon's system is going to look like from any of the defensive assistant coaches that you got the chance to talk to yesterday? Well, well maybe. we didn't get them yesterday, but I'll get in. Yeah, we'll get the defensive guys later. But, yeah, Gannon spoke last week, and, and the players really haven't hinted at anything, and, and Gannon certainly didn't. And, you know, I I think they're just try, kind of trying guys out at different spots. Like we saw Avante Maddox, right, John, line up at safety during one yeah. of the practice sessions. So I think, you know, what they're trying to do is they're trying to look at guys in different spots. And, of course, you know, they've got video all over the field to film practices, players, so now they're going to take what they put together these three weeks, and I'm sure these assistants are, are pouring over that tape to see what guys do well um, and then probably going to decide on what system they're going to play. I certainly don't have any hints. I mean, maybe John does. I think you look at, you know, the past, and obviously Mike Zimmer was a big influence on Gannon, so you have to maybe look at some of Zimmer's um, – you know, past defenses and his philosophy. And I think, John, you wrote about this uh, recently. Um, so, you know, that's kind of all we really have to go on, I think, is is that resume of Gannon working with Zimmer, um, you know, and the defenses he crafted and the philosophies that Zimmer uses. But as far as what the Eagles are going to play specifically, I'm not sure, you know, they know at this point. I think they're still kind of looking at what they have on hand because they're on record as saying we're going to put our scheme together with the players we have. We're not going to try to have a scheme and fit players into that scheme, kind of like Jim Schwartz did uh, and why you saw some guys like an Eric Rowe, a, a second-round pick, kind of fall out of favor. Um, it's not going to be that rigid. Um, at least that's what we're led to believe. Um, so they're going to try to yeah. see exactly what the players can do before they determine a scheme. Yeah, my concern, and, and Jody Jody and I had Chris Russell on. That's what I wrote about. He gave us some backdoor intel because he's really close to Ryan Kerrigan. So Ryan Kerrigan talked to us. He didn't give us much. He was like, oh, I don't know. My, I just got here. We've been talking to the defensive coaches. He told Chris, oh, no, no, you're going to be inside. Uh you're going to be you're going to be that stand up edge rusher. You're going to be in the A gaps, and I start to think of myself. Well, that's Mike Zimmer putting stand up rushers in the A gaps. So, I think Jonathan Gannon's holding out on us a little bit. My concern, though, Ed, is Ryan Kerrigan isn't Anthony Barr. I mean, people can talk about the blitzing pat part of it, but the whole point of having Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks is they bail out more than they blitz. And they're great coverage linebackers, and they can stop the run. So that's my concern. I think that's my concern with Nick Sirianni as well, with Frank Reich's offense. With you know, we had heard that that Zach Ertz story. You know, if Zach come, comes back, he's going to play thirty-five percent of the snaps. Well, Nick, you're telling me 
you're going to play the best players. Now, if Zach Ertz is here and he's better than Greg Ward or Travis Fulgham or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, why are you only playing the second tight end 35% of the time? So I think there has been some contradictory stuff coming out here. So it's going to be interesting to see this as it moves forward. Yeah, that, that story you're talking about, that when you talk to Chris Russell, who's a great, great guy, good friend of mine, um, it's going to run. Uh, it's already it was posted this morning uh, on SI.com site uh, if you want to take a look at that. But, yeah, I thought it was an interesting story because you did mention Kerrigan did mention that he may line up over center. He yeah. might line up outside. I mean, that that's kind of a joker role for him. So, you know, there could be some three, four principles involved with how they play him and some four, three stuff where he lines up on the end. I mean, I think he, I think Kerrigan's going to be a pretty important part of this defense uh, this season. I really do. And did you get the feeling that uh, the relationship between these assistant coaches and their part of the staff with the entire roster as is, they're still getting to know each other. And they spent the time that they spent together in these gatherings, quasi-practices, drill times, uh, describe it however you want. Now they go away for a couple of weeks and then they come back and they have to hit down ground running and you have to get ready for a first season. Do the assistant coaches feel comfortable that they got their message across to the guys that they've had limited time with to be able to come back when camp opens to hit the ground running? How is the communication going to continue during this downtime before camp reopens? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure of that. I mean, I, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, you like to think that they had the communication established, uh, you know, the message delivered uh, during these three weeks. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if it continues to resonate over this, what is it, seven, almost two months of a downtime period um, where I don't think the coaches can have any contact with the players during this period. So um, I don't know if that rule has changed at all, but this is – true downtime for the players. And when they come back, the coaches say they're going to know who did what, if they did as well as they could have during this period. So it's really on the players at this point to kind of hopefully have soaked up that message. Um, I will say, I think it's going to help this team. And I, and I'm looking forward to preseason games. I mean, I've never said I can't wait for the (laughs) preseason football games, but you know, not having them last year. And now we're under a new regime here. Uh, you know, I think these three preseason games they're scheduled to play are going to be, you know, kind of a fun watch. Uh, that's going to kind of give us an indication of what this team's going to look like schematically, personnel-wise. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that first preseason game. I don't know when it is, but, you know, uh, I haven't yeah. circled it yet on the calendar, but it's going to be in August sometime. And there's the two open practices um, that they're going to have, which they did not have, obviously, last year. So August 8th and August 22nd are the, are the two open practices for fans to kind of get their eyes uh, on what this team could look like in the fall. And they, by the way, Ed, they locked in the Jody Mackball, the tradition – like no other, the final preseason game, Eagles up the turnpike against the New York Jets. I think it's August 27th, but you're right. Those preseason games are going to feel like a breath of fresh air. I never thought I'd say that in my life. Now, before I let you go, last one for me, I got to bring up J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I know Eagles fans are going to hate me for this, but look, he's got one more opportunity. I think Aaron Moorhead... He talked for about 20 minutes. Nobody mentioned this guy. He is an afterthought. We're talking about Greg Ward and Travis Fulgham before we talk about 
Remember when he got drafted in 2019, he was going to be the heir apparent to Alshon Jeffrey. He was going to be the big part of this receiving corpse, and all of a sudden he fails. And think about the dominoes of that. Then you got to draft Jalen Rager. Jalen Rager fails. Then you got to draft Devontae Smith. It's wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, premium pick. Can they really turn the corner at that position? Is J.J. involved and do all the pieces fit into place because of Devontae Smith? Listen, I was all in on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside last summer. I thought he had a good camp in the few practices we were able to watch, and I thought, you know what? This guy has turned the corner. He's going to have a good year, and then the season happens and he does nothing. So this year, I'm all out on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I'm going to go the opposite way. And I think his, he's out of chances. I'm not sure he makes this team. Um, yeah, I think Devontae Smith is the final piece to whatever puzzle they're building here. I will say this about Ortega Whiteside is, you know, he's a good kid. You know, I, I enjoy talking to him. He seems like a very nice uh, person. Um, but uh, something, I think he puts too much pressure on himself, feels too much stress or something. He really needs a good maybe sports psychologist to kind of work through these issues. And that was kind of my concern last year when Aaron Moorhead, and, and I asked him about that Tuesday, about uh, Jalen Rager. You know, Moorhead said that he puts a lot of pressure on himself being a number uh, one round pick. Uh, so I'm hoping that this this too much stress thing doesn't overwhelm Jalen Rager and he goes down the same path as Ortega Whiteside. I don't think he will. Um, but listen, you know, the mind's a funny thing, you know, uh, if, you, if you're not clean in the mind and you're not clear in your head, um, that can impact you. And I think that's kind of what's gotten the better of Ortega Whiteside because he can play. He showed that at Stanford. He just hasn't been able to make that transition to the NFL. And, you know, as much as I'd like to see him land a roster spot, I'm all out on him this year. <laughs> I don't think he does. All all right. Right. If Harsh. you don't have Ed Kratz Harsh. in the corner. You're screwed, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Last one for me, Eddie. Um, In talking to the assistant coaches yesterday, did any of them actually admit to losing to Nick Sirianni in rock, paper, scissors? (laughs) Because I I firmly believe he's going in the tank. I don't think he's as bad as his record shows. I think he's doing it to bolster others' confidence. Did anyone admit they lost to him? (laughs) You You know, by the way, Jody, before you chime in, Ed, I would love to ask that question, and this is a perfect example of why Zoom sucks, because you can't waste your question on that, but I want to know. I want to know, because I've said, yo, for all of Nick, hey, I I think Nick is a great guy, all that. He doesn't win anything. I've said it. He loses to everybody. Mr. Competition, you got to win something. I want to ask that question, but I can't, because you can't waste it on Zoom. Yeah, well, that's right. You, but, can, you but, can waste yeah. it here on Birds 365, though, John. I can have your back, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't, but you might be onto something there, Jody. Maybe he's intentionally throwing these rock, paper, yes, scissors games maybe. to build confidence in his team. Yeah, maybe. that sounds like a that sounds like a big expose that we should be writing. <laughs> Master psychologist Nick Seriani. You guys will learn. Okay. Uh, Eddie Kratz, thank you very much for hopping on board. Uh, again, my apologies to John and all of our stream nation out there for getting to the party late, but I'm glad I got uh, here in time to talk to you. Thanks, buddy. Better late than ever, Jody. Thanks guys. Exactly right. Thanks, Kratz, our favorite guest, uh, John Sports Illustrated running buddy here with us on Birds 
365. All right, we'll come back. I got a couple more things I got to run by John since I kind of missed the start of the show. And uh, he and I need to catch up on a couple things before we get a chance to talk to Gary Myers, uh, Hall of Fame voter, uh, decade-long NFL writer, used to do TV. Some of you diehard uh, football fans will remember from hopping on uh, TV as well. Uh, Gary Myers, excellent NFL writer and author, is going to join us later here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Hour number two of this. Let's see. I'm so lost because I overslept. I'm not even sure what day it is. Uh, it's a Wednesday, Wednesday. edition of Birds 365. Yes. A hump day edition. 
of Birds 365. I'll try and get over the hump. Uh, Jody McDonald, along with my partner, John McMullen, here with you again. My apologies for joining the stream late. I did. I just overslept. I got to bed after 2 o'clock last night. I was on the air till 2. Uh, no no dilly-dallying. I got to bed pretty quickly, fell asleep with the TV on. Uh, but I, at some point, turned that off. But I don't know why. I just forgot. I'm going to blame the Phillies, Jody. I'm going to I'm going to blame the Phillies for you. Did they go? Did they go late? Were you on late? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's the problem. But that's no. As a matter of fact, that's less time that I was on the air because it took that long for the yeah, Philly game. You get to bored finish. waiting around. I'm done. You get bored. See, I'm trying to I'm trying to lead you down the path. You get bored. You get tired. You're waiting for the Phillies. They give up the big lead. I, know, I, appreciate, I appreciate the uh, attempted helping hand you're giving me here, John. But no, this is uh, on me. This is my fault. I take all the blame. But it was uh, nice to be up till 2 o'clock talking about the Sixers. We were able to move off the Phillies quickly enough because the Sixers had as good a win as they did. Uh, they had in game two to get that series even at 1-1. One and one. Uh, But prior to the Sixers, prior to the Phillies, you know <clears> what I did yesterday, J-Mac? And I don't even know why I did. Well, I know why I did it because we had our buddy Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible on yesterday. I went down a bit of a, an Eagles draft rabbit hole. Oh, that's, because, that could be an ugly thing. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned when we had Rick on that all of the mock drafts that you've seen have the Eagles with their own selection, not the one that they got from the Dolphins. Most mock drafts have that in the high teens. Not the draft that they could get from the Colts. Most of the mock drafts I've seen have that in the 20s. Uh, No, the actual... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Eagle pick itself will be a rather high pick. Some had it as high as number three overall, four, five, six. Not what Eagle fans want a year, but that's what mock drafts are all about. You got to make a projection on what team is going to be picking where. They all had Eagles. I don't think anyone had them higher than seventh. I think yeah. that might have been the highest number that I saw. And oh, by the way, I got to give you the name of this draft. Uh, if you want to write this one down, Eagle fans, I'd never been there before. NFL mock draft database.com. Now, that's a hell of a name for a website. I mm. I had never seen this before, and I just came across it when I was going from one website to the other. NFL mock draft database.com. And they have access to about 75 mock drafts. You can just go from one to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And that's what I did for an hour and change yesterday going through it. I will say this. Not every Eagle mock draft had Eagles taken a quarterback. I'd say right around half, maybe more than half. I didn't go down. I didn't count them. I not wrote down about... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight or so. And again, at uh, NFL draft, NFL mock draft database.com. You get about 75 of these. 
If you got an hour to kill birds, fans, you got <laughs> yeah. better to do. Uh, go through this and see exactly who they have. Um, Pro Football Network had the Eagles taking the cornerback that Rick Saratella told us about yesterday, um, Kair Elam from from uh, Florida. Had him going number four overall. Damn. Wow. They're, That's they're, high. They're big fans. Uh, CBS, Draft Wire had Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU, who uh, they're certainly leaning toward quarterback. Uh, CBS had them taking a defensive end from Purdue, George Cardifus. I got to learn how to pronounce all these names. These kids I haven't seen play yet. Uh, Tankathon had Spencer Rattler. I think uh, Ricky had him going number one overall. overall. Number one overall. Had him fall into six to the Eagles in Tankathon. NFL spin zone. There's that Carson Strong that Saratella had uh, going quarterback there. Walter football. Are you a fan of Walter football? Um, No. I've been going to that website, I guarantee you, a minimum of 10 years. I think it's probably longer than that. I think their draft coverage has been pretty damn good on the web. Uh, for the last 10 years. So I'm a Walter football fan. They had the Eagles taking Spencer Rattler as well at number four. So some had Spencer Rattler falling to the Eagles. Uh, here's one that I uh, just uh, didn't understand. Who's our friend at Pro Football Focus? Uh, Brad Spielberg. Our, our, our who, cap guy, who, Brad Spielberg. Yeah, Brad's um, been on the show. I don't know who is their main draft guy. Probably Sam Munson, probably, I'm guessing. Um, But Pro Football Focus has the Eagles taking a quarterback. I think it was at number five. I didn't write it down. Somewhere thereabouts. Emery Jones from Florida? Yeah, a lot of people have him as a top ten pick. He's barely played. That's a big projection. People think. He's going to be a superstar. They see that Florida offense. By the way, Brian Johnson was a part Yeah, I was going to say, Brian Johnson, is that what yeah. he's doing to uh, take one plus one and add it up to two That because of I'm well, Brian Johnson? I, I, I Emory think people, Jones is going to be their quarterback? Yeah, exactly. People look at, you know, he's going to take over that offense, how explosive it was. Uh, it, it's still expected to be explosive, and those guys tend to – that's the difficulty. I mean, that's the evaluation part of it. So – I've seen his name a few times, but I will say this, and I'll I'll tell you why everybody who didn't have the Eagles picking a quarterback is wrong. There's two parts to this, Jody. If you're that bad, that means you had a bad season. That means the quarterback didn't play well. That means you're taking a quarterback. So the evaluation part of the Eagles are going to be a bad football team, which we've talked about a lot. I don't think is necessarily true as much as most national people. We'll talk to Gary about that as well. As you've seen, most national people, their power rankings have the Eagles, you know, maybe best case scenario, 24, 25, somewhere in that range. Look, if you're going to be a top 10, you know, position in the draft, you're coming off a bad season. If you're coming off a bad season, pretty good indication the quarterback's not going to have a great year, and therefore the Eagles are going to come to the conclusion we have to get a quarterback. Now, maybe they get it somewhere else. Maybe they get to Sean Watson, but then you're going to have to trade those picks. So forget about cornerback. Forget about edge rusher. If you're picking in the top five, Jody, 
if the Eagles are in the top five, they're taking a quarterback. There's no other, there's no other avenue it can go because they will be coming off a terrible season. Understood. Um, and for the most part, agreed. I guess as far-fetched as it is, there is a scenario where the Eagles continue to lose games during the regular season, uh, 38-35, that the, the offense is actually pretty damn good, and Jalen Hurts is one of the top 10, 12-ranked quarterbacks, touchdown passes, passer rating, and the Eagles are just a bad football team because – they never did go out and get that cornerback to uh, I like guess. Mr. Nelson. I, we I'll tell you where I'm most of all them. Summer I'm, long. Yeah. Now, they, 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 you know, I love hypotheticals. This is a hypothetical. And it's not a very likely hypothetical, but it could be that they're still a good offensive team and Ertz does a job and they still find a way to lose football teams. The other possibility is, and you and I kind of discussed it earlier this week, what is the biggest issue? What is the biggest hurdle the Eagles have to get over? And you said it's quarterback and or rookie head coach. Well, that could be part of it. We might think after watching the Eagles play 17 games, what the hell did they do handling this Sirianni guy? He just has no clue. He's overmatched. He's not a real head head coach. I doubt they're going to pull the plug on him. After one year, but they might. They, they, I don't think Nick Sirianni is a lock to be here for uh, the next however many years. No, uh, but, well, if he goes two and fifteen, you know, and I caught myself, I was going to say two and fourteen. If he goes two and fifteen, yeah, I could see him being one and done. But it would have to be something so disastrous in in that type of category. I'll tell you what, I'm most impressed by you coming up with an avenue to saying where the Eagles could be in the top five and Jalen Hurts still plays well. I'm impressed by that. But, you know, you you and I, Jody, know that's not going to happen. That's not how this league works. You're not going to lose. Highly unlikely, yeah. not impossible. I'm impressed. The percentage said, chance is down about yeah. here, but uh, it is. You're not going to lose a bunch of 40-35 games. You're just, I mean, that's just not how the NFL works. But if he can do that consistently – like I said, I'm more impressed by you coming up with that, to be honest. But if they're in the top five, and it might not be fair, the more realistic part of it might be the context of an NFL game. And just in theory, you can play well as a quarterback and you can lose games and people don't see that you're playing well because you get too much blame. The old adage, you get too much credit when you win, too much blame when you lose. I could see that coming into play. You can put a lot of context in it and say Jalen Hurts isn't the problem with this team, but it just doesn't work that way. I wish it would, but it doesn't. And here's another aspect that scares me, and sorry to say, Eagle fans, it should bother you and scare you too. Um, if the year doesn't go well, if Jalen Hurts isn't good enough to project as you're starting going forward and the Eagles have to use their pick because, yes, the Eagles right now have a very good chance at having three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. I would be willing to bet good money that their own pick will be higher, as in coming earlier in the draft, than either the Dolphin pick or the Colt pick. Um, but if they use it on a quarterback, they're more married to that guy. Remember, Jalen Hurts was taken mid to late second round. You give him a shot, doesn't work out, you got to move on. It's a loss, but it's not that big of a loss. When you take a guy in the top 10, top 8, 
top five, depending on how bad the Eagles season really is. Once you call out that quarterback name, he's going to get a shot. It's not going to be just a no, one year no. and uh, we'll flip it again and go quarterback again in the 2022 draft. No, they're going to give that guy a chance. They'll be willing to move on from Jalen Hurts going into his third year. They're not going to be willing to move on on a quarterback taken in the top six, seven, eight draft uh, overall after just one year. That's not happening. So they better get that one right because we no. could be looking at some mediocre no. quarterback play for X amount years in a row. Carson's bad year. Jalen's not good enough to win the job year. The new quarterback drafted high in the draft year. And the next year they're after because yeah. he's going to get a minimum of two years wow. worth of it could be four straight years of bad quarterback play for the Eagles. Yeah, it could be, Jody. Um, you're right with what you said. Things have sped up. We've talked a lot about this, Mike Tannenbaum being the latest. Things have sped up when it comes to quarterback evaluation in this league. And you see it with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and before them, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. The Jets are probably the best example. I mean, they're drafting – top five with Sam Darnold. Then a couple years down the road, they're drafting top five again. So things have sped up and, and people are willing to move on from the quarterback position a lot uh, quicker than they used to be, but it's not going to be one year. So yeah, if you, if you make a mistake at that position, it's still a multiple year mistake before you can even think about moving on. Um, and I don't know if that's good or not. But one thing what where Mike Tannenbaum said I disagree with. You guys talking about Joe Burrow and his uh, NFL lack of an NFL body and his lower body not being powerful enough, and he would have wished that they kept Andy Dalton and sat Joe Burrow for a year. Look, Mike, I love you. You can't take a quarterback number one overall. He's getting on the field, especially if Andy Dalton's the bridge. Nobody's going to accept Andy Dalton. Uh, uh, picking the number one overall pick. So there's so much pressure to get these young quarterbacks on the field. Where Mike is completely right is a lot of them aren't ready, but nobody has the patience for the development of the quarterback position. And the problem, Jody, is when you take a guy that high, there's even more pressure to get him on the field before he's ready. And I'll be honest with you, and, and I do. I follow college football uh, because I like the sport, because I like to see the competition for a championship, <clears throat> to try and balance the recruiting and who's going to be the best team and the different fan bases doing my national show on CBS Sports Radio. I truly do enjoy Saturdays in the fall watching college football. But I always do have a half an eye on how I think the college player is going to become a pro player. It's not just purely watching college football because I like college football. I do, but I also watch it to be able to come up with an opinion on how a player is going to advance in his next stage moving to the NFL. And no more interesting than the quarterback position. Right now, as I'm doing this deep dive on where the Eagles are going to pick and all these quarterbacks that are going to be out there, and all, I'll be honest with you. I don't love any college quarterback this year. Last year, I did. You will, though. Here's where you will. You will. Because this is – and we talked about Joe Burrow. So, perfect. You didn't love Joe Burrow coming into – coming into – 
uh, uh, Justin Fields, you know, all these Oh, yeah. Players. No, 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 no. Oh, no. No, okay. no, no, right. no, 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 no. Justin Fields. I love Justin Fields, and I love Georgia Trevor Lawrence. didn't. I can there tell were, you that. There were two guys that I knew before they ever took a snap in this just past year's college football season. I said, these guys are both going to be superior NFL quarterbacks. should have been the head coach at Georgia. <laughs> that, we'll, we'll see uh, if they uh, – well, no, it's over and done with. They're not going to yeah. pay a price for it. Um, but, no, I really did like both guys. And, and no, oh, by the way, Fields had had a phenomenal year at Ohio State. Uh, it wasn't like I yeah, was Yeah, I'm, going I'm talking about before. when Jake Fromm beat him out. But, right. Uh, but that uh, was the year before that. Yeah. All I'm saying my, is going into this year, I don't love is, any of these guys the way I loved uh, both Trevor Lawrence yeah, but and you Justin will. Fields. There will be somebody. It might be Spencer Rattler. It might be Sam Howell. It might be Emory Smith. It might be the kid from Liberty. You will. Somebody's going to emerge, and the hype train is going to get rolling, Jody. It is going to get rolling, and you are going to get caught up in it. I, Everybody I, does. I, 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 like, every year. I like Sam Howell. I like the Daniels kid at Georgia, although I got issues with how they decide who is going to be the quarterback at Georgia. There's a couple guys that I like, and you're right. I will probably fall in love with at least one, if not two, but I'm not there yet. And yeah. uh, it is. And the kid from Clemson, two years down the line. Oh, uh, uh, DJ I got to figure out how to pronounce his name because he's yeah. going number one overall. I'm already predicting that a couple years down the road. Uh, you, you know, yours truly is already on the record doing that as well. And I saw one of these mock drafts. They didn't have him as the number one draft pick for the 2023 draft. And I said, well, this one's useless. This is right. If they don't already have him as the number one pick, I'm not going to give them any amount of my uh, time anytime soon. All right. Uh, coming up next, we're going to get a chance to spend some quality minutes with a good bud and an outstanding NFL writer, both a columnist and an author. And oh, by the way, he's a podcaster these days. Gary Meyer is going to join us next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Wednesday edition of I'm a fair because we are lucky enough to be joined by a phenomenal NFL writer. Uh, he's been covering the league and writing columns for years. And he's a was a bit of TV star back in the day. And now he's become a podcast star wow. as well. I thought his claim to fame was the fact that he did a couple shows with me on WFAN in New York. But people would uh. argue that for sure. Gary Myers joins us here on Birds 365. How you doing, Gary? I am doing great, Jody Mac. John, how are you doing? And uh, Jody, the shows uh, here in New York with, with you were definitely the highlight of my career. Oh, wow. Jody Mac. Yeah. Well, we know Jody's a legend, but so is Gary Myers. Thrilled to have you, Gary. And obviously, for those who don't know, Gary wrote the definitive book, Brady versus Manning, talking about maybe the greatest rivalry and that personal rivalry in the history of the NFL, certainly the modern NFL. Uh, the podcast is The Goats, also talking about Tom Brady. Exclusive audio with Brady, Robert Kraft, everybody, Peyton, Eli, Joe Montana, everybody involved in that discussion. So kind of, I, I, you know, I want to talk about the, the current league issues, but I do want you to talk about Brady versus Manning. Has there ever been a better personal rivalry than that in the NFL? No, John, I don't think so. And I mean, I know there hasn't been. And what made this one so special is not just the idea that two great players' careers were side by side, but that they met 17 times or 16 times in their career. I've kind of lost track at this point. I think it's 16, and Brady was up 11 5. Um, so, you know, the fact that they were in the same conference for a couple of years they were in the same division and then because the Patriots and Colts were always finishing first in their division because of the NFL's formula scheduling um, the Colts and Patriots were playing against each other every year and then when Peyton went to Denver they were finishing first so they were playing the Patriots every year and then they met you know five times in the playoffs so that's what makes it really special it's just 
not only again, not only the fact that they were playing at the same time, but that they faced each other so frequently. And it's it's really hard to project, you know, something like this coming up in the future. I mean, there are a lot of good young quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, a number of them are playing in the same conference, but there are a lot of factors go into just how many times they're actually going to meet. Now, Gary, hindsight is great. It's always 2020. I'm tremendous when it comes to hindsight. I get so many things right in hindsight. It's, it's spectacular. Um, I don't remember, and you may have covered this on your podcast, and guys may have uh, been honest with you and told you, I do not remember having De- Denver having much of an interest in Tom Brady last offseason, when he became a Bell, when we found out he wasn't going back to the Patriots, when he and Bill Belichick were actually going to split up and he was going to hit the free agent market. He signed pretty damn quickly with Tampa. But there was a time when any suitor could have come forward and said, Tom, you could bring your act here. <clears throat> Denver had already run that show with Peyton Manning and made it work. They chose. It seems like they chose not to really get involved with Brady, Brady at all. Did they? Did they keep it under wraps? Do you have more insight to this than uh, someone like John or I may? Well, um, Jody, I, I really think it just came down to the Chargers and the Bucks. I, I don't think that there were many teams that were uh, that serious. They might have made an, you know, a, a, a superficial phone call or, you know, just a, a informative phone call to um, Don Yee, who's who's Tom's agent, and just said, you know, does he have any interest in us? What would it take? That kind of stuff. When I came right down to it, I just think it was the Chargers and the Bucks. I think the Raiders were in it on the in the periphery. On the periphery, I never heard Denver, uh, which is interesting now because you know they're the team that if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, that everybody assuming uh, will want him. And um, I, I'm sure that Tom's age at the time he was 42 going into last summer, 43 going into last summer, and the fact that he did not play it up to his standards in his final year in New England, that a lot of teams were probably thinking, well, you know, has, has football just caught up to him? I mean, nobody has ever, you know, outrun Father Time. I know that's kind of a cliche, but it's, it's really true. And there has to be a reason that nobody's played at this level into their mid-40s is because it's, it's very hard to do and physically it's nearly impossible. And Tom is just a complete aberration here because of how he takes care of his body and how dedicated he is to working out and to nutrition and, you know, why Denver wouldn't have been interested. Well, I think going into last season, they were, they were pretty high on Drew Locke and, you know, he's 22, 23 years old. And they figured that um, bringing in a guy like Brady, obviously he was going to play if he, if they signed him, and it would get in the way of developing Drew Locke. And, and they wanted a, you know, have their own quarterback for lots of years. Now he didn't have a good season last year and he was hurt a bit. Um, if, if indeed they're going to take, bring in Aaron Rodgers, then you figure that, you know, the Drew Locke um, era could be over for the time being. And by the yeah. time yeah. You know, Aaron's ready to retire, Locke's going to be a free agent and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I think if Locke had shown more last year, that you wouldn't hear Denver's name come up in, in the Aaron Rodgers situation. Now, it is interesting, Gary, because now we have two examples of this. And it's understandable 
you don't want to pay age in this league. It's understandable thinking a, a 42, 43-year-old guy is going to fall off the table, as you mentioned. But now we have Peyton in Denver and we have Tom in Tampa Bay, and they both got Super Bowl championships out of it. Uh, does that open up the eyes? You see Drew Brees playing very well uh, until late, very late in his career in New Orleans. You can play the position at a higher level. I look at Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Nobody has played the position, uh, at least to my opinion, at a higher level uh, from a skill set standpoint. Mm -hmm. Do you think the NFL will be more open-minded moving forward, or is it just so ingrained that we can't bring in a guy in his late 30s? Do you think that will always be the overriding factor? John, I really think it's a case-by-case -case basis that uh, a guy like Eli, uh, he, he was done when he, when he retired, and he, he hadn't hit 40 yet, um, but there was nobody saying, you know, there's still a lot of gas left in that tank that he should continue. Yeah. Um, you know, Peyton was a, was a really special situation. He was coming off four neck surgeries. Mm hmm and by no means was he a short thing when he went to Denver. Now, it turned out, you know, he played great there, especially his first couple of years. When he won that championship in his last year, if you remember, he was really just along for the ride. It was the Denver yeah. defense that won that Super Bowl. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 37 years old, and he played great last year. Obviously, he was the league MVP. And until we see a decline in his skill set, then there's no reason to believe that he can't play as well at 43 as Tom played last season. But he's got six years to go to get to that point. And I think we've seen with quarterbacks that they can lose it at any point. I agree with you that Breeze played well uh, last year, but he didn't play great, especially in that playoff game against Tampa. He threw a bunch of interceptions that you just didn't see him throw, um, you know, during even the latter portions of his career. So I think he made a really good decision to retire before we remember Drew Breeze as a quarterback who went out through and tw throwing 25 interceptions in a season, I, I think his timing was great to get out. Um, so I guess that's a way of just saying that what I said initially, John, I, I really think it's it's an, a case by case. There aren't a lot. I mean, obviously there's never been a player like Brady. There've been very, very few players that have played at this level at 37 as Aaron Rodgers did. Um, but who's the next one that you think can play at that level, at that age. Now, you know, you'd say, well, Patrick Mahomes, but what is he, 25 years old? Mm. He's got only got to wait 18 years to find yeah. out if that's the case or not. Absolutely. So, you know, you'd say, well, you know, if, if Patrick can stay healthy um, and, you know, he's not a runner like Lamar Jackson is, so he doesn't get, other than the Super Bowl last year, you know, it, the, the Chiefs line has done a good job you know, keeping him protected. He's had a couple of injuries here and there, but you'd say, well, you know, maybe he's a guy that can sustain this for the next decade, but until it happens, you just don't know. All right, Gary. I, uh, it's a, a, an intriguing story and debate to have, but I'll be honest with you. I only care about one year for Aaron Rodgers, and that's this upcoming year. Is he staying in green Bay? Is he going to get his wits? Is he going to be dealt? How does it play for 2021? We'll figure out 2022 when we get there. But uh, give me your best guess scenario on how it's going to play for Aaron Rodgers this upcoming NFL year. Well, I think the key thing to know right now, Jody, is we haven't reached a pressure point yet. And 
it's not the mini camps, whether they fine him for missing the mini camps or not. I mean, that's, you know, that's uh, chip money for, uh, for Aaron Rodgers. And I, I know the fines increase a lot once training camp starts. And unlike in the past, it's written in the CBA that the teams can't rescind those fines or work it out in a new contract that the player has to pay it. And, it, it is a pretty hefty thing. So if the money is important to Rodgers, then you'd say, okay, that's a pressure point at the end of July when he's due to report to camp. But um, I, at this point, I, I mean, I really think Aaron's a different guy. He's really stubborn. Yes, he is. <laughs> when he gets, you know, when he digs in on an issue, um, I, I think he's really hard to budge. And, there is something that's happened in Green Bay, and it goes, be, in my opinion, it goes beyond the Jordan Love situation um, that has got him feeling this way, you know, with the general manager, with Mark Murphy. Uh, listen, they made a mistake. Not, I'm not going to say they made a mistake taking dra- drafting Jordan Love, but probably not giving Aaron a heads up on it, you know, much like um, uh, Tampa did. You know, Tom was in on you know, taking Kyle Trask. And he knew about it, and he didn't have any problems with it. And he reached out to the kid after they drafted him, you know, I'm here for you, whatever you need. Um, Aaron Rodgers kind of gave Jordan Love at the beginning the Brett Favre treatment that Favre gave Rodgers when he was drafted in 2005. And then he warmed up to him. So I I think it goes beyond just the Love situation. It's a general feeling that, you know, Rodgers just objects to the way things are being done in Green Bay. So I guess that's a long way of answering the question. I don't think he's going back to Green Bay. I think he'd really have to um, swallow his pride somewhat to go back there after he seems to be so dug in now and he's made so much money in his career that I don't think he's going to go back just not to get fined or just to collect his money. He, I just don't think he wants to be there anymore. I mean, I know that he doesn't want to be there anymore. Just yeah. a question whether they can talk him into coming back. Gary, I want to shift gears with you a little bit because Jim Fossil passed away yeah. earlier this week. And obviously you got to cover him on a daily basis. To me, just number one, nice guy, great guy. Great guy. Um, I, I thought he's one of those coaches, really good coach. But obviously if you don't get over the hump in this league, you kind of get lost in the wash. Uh, Kind of give us a, a, some thoughts on Jim Foss, on what he meant to the New York Giants, what he meant to the NFL. And I guess the apex was that 41 nothing championship yeah. game win. And then they lost to one of the great defenses of all time, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I mean, he was here for seven years, and he made the playoffs three times, won a couple of division championships. And then that NFC championship game against Minnesota was one of the all-time great performances by any team in the playoffs. I mean, 41-0 over a pretty good Vikings team that had, you know, Randy Moss and Chris Carter and uh, a, a decent defense. But the, the Giants jumped on them early in that game and then just, you know, put the foot on the throat and didn't let them up. Um, Jim came here. Jim had been an assistant coach, uh, offensive coordinator, for a couple tumultu- tumultuous seasons um, when Ray Hanley was the head coach after Parcells uh, left the Giants. Uh, Parcells had hired Fossil and then left. Um, And Jim did a good job as offensive coordinator, and then they hired Dan Reeves to replace Hanley. And Reeves just pretty much never wanted to be here. 
because he was used to working without a general manager in Denver and he and George Young just were never on the same page. So when they hired Fossil, you know, George wanted someone who knew would be collaborative. And the untold story about that hire is Wellington Mara wanted to bring back Parcells. George was adamantly against it. Robert Tisch was kind of on the fence. So Wellington told George, okay, you know, I'm not going to go against you here. Uh, go and hire Fossil. So I remember John talking about this a few years ago. Literally, as George went from John's office to his own office to call Fossil um, to offer him the job, and knowing George, he did his best to sprint to his office to make that phone call before they changed their mind. He went and offered Fossil the job almost at exactly the same time that Tish was calling the Maras and said, well, you know, if you guys really want, especially Wellington, if you really want to bring Parcells back, I'm not going to stand in the way. So you got my vote. And they went down and told George and he goes, well, I've already offered Fossil the job. I mean, it was literally a matter of minutes. Wow. And, and the Giants, you know, are such a um, uh, upstanding organization that even with an opportunity to get Fossil, but I mean, get Parcells back, they didn't want to call Fossil and said, you know, that conversation we just had five minutes ago, make believe it never happened. They wouldn't make that phone call. And then uh, Parcells went and took the job with the Jets. Not a lot of this was known at the time. We all knew going through the month of January that year that it was the Jets that were set up to hire Parcells and that that was the reason they hadn't even interviewed anybody for six weeks after Kotite left is because they were sitting there waiting for Parcells. If the Giants went and hired him, I don't know what the Jets would have done, but it, it didn't amount to that. And then Jim was a guy that um, – he was like the anti-Reeves in that he, he got along really well with everybody. The, the players loved him. Um, he lost a really a couple of tough playoff games, one to Minnesota after his first season, and then they were up 38-14 in San Francisco in 2002 and somehow lost that game 39-38. And then next year they had a gazillion injuries and they went 4-12 and and he got fired. And then – you know, to the surprise of a lot of people, he never got another opportunity to be head coach in the NFL again. Oh, I will tell you this. He was on the verge of being hired by Washington right after he got fired by the Giants. And at the last minute, Dan Snyder was able to talk Joe Gibbs out of retirement. Mm. And so Fossil was out. And then four years later, after um, – uh, Gibbs retired, so Joe stayed there four years. So it was after the 07 season. That's the year the Giants played the Patriots in Super Bowl for the first time. I ran into Jim in the lobby of the Hyatt in Phoenix, which was the media hotel for that Super Bowl. And he told me he was getting – this time he was getting the Washington job. He had already interviewed twice with Snyder. He had put his entire staff together, which included Jim Zorn as his offensive coordinator. And I guess in the interview that Zorn had with Snyder for the coordinator job, Snyder fell in love with Zorn and he said, I'm hiring you to be the head coach. <laughs> and he turned his back on, on Fossil a second wow. time. And Zorn was, you know, you know, Snyder has described the two years with Zorn in Washington as the low light 
or, or just a miserable two years. And you know how many bad years Snyder's had yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said those were the two worst. Then you know it was pretty bad. And and Zorn was over his head. He should he sh I can't say he should have hired Fossil over Gibbs, but he should have hired Fossil over Zorn. That that bar pretty low in Washington. You are yeah. exactly right, Gary. I uh, great stories, and we appreciate you sharing with us. I needed to share at least one more. Okay, we're in a situation here in Philadelphia with Nick Sirianni, new head coach, not all that well known. A couple of years coordinator hasn't been a head coach for uh, sure <laughs> anywhere else, but not even in the NFL circles all that long. So people are still learning about Nick Sirianni on the fly. And he's doing it a little differently, at least the relationship he has with the media so far and the fans. He's a very upbeat guy. He's uh, a competition guy. He's doing it different than other head coaches have that have come through here in Philadelphia. Did you ever have one of those in any of the teams that you ever covered, a guy that you didn't have a good feel for? And you, when you first got the chance to meet him, hear him, listen to him and the like, you said, Ooh, this is going to be interesting. Don't know if it's going to be good. Don't know if it's going to be bad, but it's going to be interesting. Did you ever have a coach like that you had to cover? Uh, I mean, I've covered a lot of head coaches, so yeah. Um, Ray Hanley was one because I'm going. I'm thinking, how did he get the job? And this is going to be really interesting to see how he, he does. And he lost the players, you know, almost right away. Um, one guy, one guy I really liked, and I was only around him for a year, and he turned out obviously to be a great head coach, was Pete Carroll in 94 with the Jets. Uh, he had been the offensive coordinator, and we knew Pete was you know, a real outgoing guy, and the players loved him. And you know, he was ahead of his time with the Jets at that point because he was such a player-friendly coach. And he had a basketball court set up in one of the parking lots for the coaches to play basketball, you know, taking a break. And everybody's going, ah, you know, is Pete serious enough about this job? You <laughs> can't be that way and succeed. Well, like I said, maybe he was probably like 15 years ahead of his time because he did pretty well with that yeah. at USC and, and then in Seattle. Um, some of the other guys, I mean, Herm. Um, didn't have a, a track record as anywhere as a head coach. He just and you guys obviously know him from Philly, from his playing days, and he'd yeah. been, uh, you know, a, a Dick Vermeil disciple, and um, you know came in and Herm talked a better game than he actually was as a coach. I thought Herm was more of a CEO than an X's and O's guy, but he had good coordinators around him and. And again, it was another guy that you know was really good motivating the players, and they liked playing for him. And and Herm did well. He he, he never was able to get the Jets you know over the hump. Um, I thought the Jets gave up too early on Mangini, but nobody liked covering Mangini because he was it, he was too um, dedicated at that point or too committed at that point to trying to emulate everything that Belichick did, you know. From, from the point of being horrible in his press conferences to being distant from his players um, to alienating. Well, I'm not sure Belichick has done this in New England, but uh, Mangini pretty much alienated the entire organization, including the head coach. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, including the owner, Woody Johnson. I mean, he was so secretive with us. 
And after Johnson fired Mangini, he's, I said, you know, what's up? You know, he didn't do a terrible job for you uh, in three years. He goes, well, the way he was with you is the way he was with me. He wouldn't tell me anything. <laughs> I said, that's not a real good idea with yeah. the guy who owns the team. So, yeah, I, I've covered every personality that you can possibly imagine in my years in Dallas. And I'm just talking about guys I dealt with on a daily basis. I mean, I've dealt with, obviously, all the coaches, non-New York coaches, but not on a daily basis. So I've lost track of how many Jet head coaches I've covered and Giants <laughs> have seemed to be, you know, in the last five years, they're on their fourth head coach now. So uh, they come in all shapes and sizes and yeah. uh, personalities. And by far my favorite um, is Parcells. I just always – he was very intimidating to a lot of people, but not to me. Uh, I always got along with him. I thought we had, you know, real mutual respect there, and uh, he's my all-timer. I always go back to Gary Bill Parcells. I always go back. With his guys, he's got that little list he gives them of advice. I, I know Mike Zimmer got it, and it was like yeah. – one of the, I think one of the quotes was there's three or four things that happen every day in professional football that you don't want to happen. And if you can't deal with it, you better get another job. That's right. Which I always go back to. But I do, you know, you bring up Pete Carroll and being ahead of his time, that rings with me because Nick Sirianni's playing basketball with, with his players. He's got a ping pong table set up. Is it always just come down to wins and losses? If you start losing, will players look at that kind of stuff and say, this guy's not serious? Versus winning, I mean, he's great. He's a player's coach. Is that is it just come down to that? I mean, that's that's it's a bottom line business. I mean, that's no great revelation. So if what Nick is doing pays off in a division championship this year, it's ah, you know, he's great. You know, he's Pete Carroll. He's this. He's that. If he um, if he loses, then I'm not sure what the comparison I would make, but. Um, He'll be criticized. I mean, I think the first place that'll get criticized is with the Philadelphia media, which we know can be difficult. Um, and that would probably be a result of players whispering media's in the media's ear, you know, th this guy is, you know, not putting in the hours or he's spending too much time, you know, playing basketball with us or, you know, instead of being in a meeting, we're playing ping pong and how can you win like that? Um so it really comes down to the wins and losses. One thing that I, I, you know, I really think that is working in the favor of a lot of the these new head coaches is the limited media access. And I hope it changes as ASAP. Yeah. But the fact that players are only on Zoom calls with the media instead of, you know, every writer has their guys in the locker room that they can always count on to give them inside information. And because that was lost last year. I mean, I talked to a really good friend of mine who's covered a team for 30 years. And he told me that he has only like two or three phone numbers of the players on the team that he covers because there's been such tremendous turnover in the last year and there's been no locker room access. Yeah. So I guess my point is with these players only being on Zoom calls, they're not going to drop any bombs on these Zoom calls. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. I mean, everything is very sterile. I mean, occasionally you get somebody, you know, complaining somewhat, but not anything like 
guys in the locker room who will talk off the record and tell you stuff. You know, you can write it. Just use my don't use my name. That's not that's not happening on Zoom calls. And unless you're a writer that has a pretty good Rolodex, uh, do they still use use Rolodex? That <laughs> <laughs> has a pretty good yeah. contact list in his phone. You know, that can get guys away from the field. You're not seeing the explosive type stories come out on a daily basis. Obviously, like an Aaron Rodgers story, you know, I don't know where that came from initially, you know, whether Aaron is leaking it or his agent is leaking it or his friends of Aaron. You know, those stories can still come out, but they're few and far between. Whereas if these locker rooms were open, um, it would be much more prevalent, which is my way of saying that new head coaches, I think, are on an extended honeymoon period because the access to their players isn't the same. So any bitching and complaining is really being kept to a minimum. And so if anybody is really upset with the way the Eagles' new head coach is operating, it's going to take, I think, longer to come out. That's an excellent point. All right. Uh, following in the sort of the footsteps of what you were talking about, access and doing things virtually and Zoom and the like, we're going to hit uh, summer vacation for everyone here in the next couple of weeks. And then camp is going to open and the season's going to get underway. Protocols are in place, but they're potentially changing protocols depending on the percentage of the vaccination that the teams have. And the number's 85. Um, if teams are in the 80s, is Roger Goodell going to really come down hard on them if they're not wearing their mask, is it going to be a scrutinized thing that teams are going to get in trouble for and pay fines and penalties and stuff like that? Or are we going to be close enough where everyone's going to say, yeah, 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 we, we've got the rules in place, but come on, they need two more guys to take the back. Are we really going to fine them because they have two guys short of a 90-man roster of getting the vaccine? How is that going to play disciplinary-wise with the league and the teams when camp actually does get underway? Well, first thing I'd say, Jody, I think it's a very fluid situation because we still have six weeks to go uh, before the opening of training camp. And I was just reading the other day that um, one of the – I think it was Jabril Peppers, I'm not positive, that he just got his first COVID shot the other day. So now that camp is getting closer, any players who haven't – and coaches as well – who haven't gotten their vaccinations might be more inclined because it is going to be more restrictive for players and teams that haven't hit the threshold. Now, I have to admit, I'm not positive how they're going to handle it if for the players that have been vaccinated and just, I'm just saying for argument's sake, there's a group of, you know, it can't be a 15 offensive linemen. If you have 12 of them who've been vaccinated, and the, and the offensive line coach has been vaccinated. Can those guys meet in the same room, but the three who haven't have to be virtual? I, I really don't know how that's going to work. I know they sent out a list of protocols the other day, how it will affect coaches who aren't va vaccinated. And it's extremely restrictive for assistant coaches who aren't vaccinated. They're not allowed in a meeting room with their position group. So I think that's a really strong incentive for coaches um, and I will say this as, as, a, as a public service announcement of sorts. I got my first vaccination uh, the day after the Super Bowl. And my second one, I mean, I'm sorry, the, well, by the way, 
10 days before the Super Bowl. I got the second one uh, three weeks later, which was the day after the Super Bowl on February 8th. I can come close to understanding why anybody is not getting vaccinated. Not only to protect yourself, but to protect the people around you. And transferring that thought to an NFL environment, Major League Baseball, um, you're in a locker room every day. I would think there'd be, so, and with the majority of players are getting vaccinated, I would think the peer pressure would be so intense for those who are holding out, unless it's for religious reasons. And, you know, again, that I'm not really well informed on what a religious reason would be not to get vaccinated. But, um, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like getting a flu shot. It's just no yeah. big deal. And if it's going to protect you and your family and then in a team environment, protect those around you in the locker room and, and on the field and whatnot. I mean, I, I really can't come up with a good reason um, why they're not. And I know I, I read something the other day. There's like five baseball teams that haven't hit the 85% threshold, including the Mets. And um, I remember reading back in April, there were a bunch of players that were saying it was a personal decision and they didn't want to say yes or no what they were doing. And obviously you can read between the lines on that. Those were the players who were not going to get you know, vaccinated and whether their position has changed since then, I don't know, but uh, it clearly, I know we're getting off subject here a little bit, but clearly it works because the numbers are going down and they're going down because people are getting vaccinated. And I think the teams who are vaccinated and where the protocols are not as severe and they're able to do more as a team, I think those are the teams that are going to have an advantage going into this season. Agreed. Yeah, agreed, Gary. And Brandon Bean got in a little bit of hot water by saying, guess what? If it's a vaccinated versus unvaccinated player, I'm probably going to keep the vaccinated player. I don't even go that far. I just want to get back to normal. Jody and I are fully vaccinated. Yeah. I want to get back in the locker room. As you mentioned, I want to be able to talk to players. I hope everybody wants to get back to normal. I hope we get back to normal. I do want to say one last thing because yeah. I want to tell everybody, Gary, to go to your podcast, The GOAT. And I want to say, you know, you said it earlier. I'll end here with you. Father Time uh, beats us all. When is he catching up to Tom Brady? Is it happening this year? No, I, I think he's going to be even better this year than he was last year. He got his knee fixed, and although he didn't really talk about it at all last year during the course of the season – you know, things that you're hearing out of Tampa is that, you know, it bothered him the entire season and he really had to, you know, get himself, you know, taped up and 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 limit himself somewhat uh, because of his knee. And he took his full turn in minicamp yesterday, just a few months after having yeah. this knee surgery. So one, I think he's going to be even in better shape than he has been. And secondly, the second year in Bruce Arian's system, and his familiarity with all the receivers now, having been with them for a year, and they brought the whole cast of characters back. Um, and, you know, the offensive line uh, coming back and, and being better and knowing, having more knowledge on how to protect him and, and how much time you have. To, I, I think the Bucks have as, as good a chance of any team to repeat um, as any team that we've seen you know, since the 03-04 uh, Patriots. And, 
they did an amazing job bringing back their entire team. Whether that turns out to be good, whether you needed a couple of new key players to keep the hunger there, you know, we'll find out. But um, one of the problems that teams have won the Super Bowl always face in the next year is, you know, do they still have this, the same motivation? It, I think it's it's easier to get to the top of the mountain than it is to stay there. I've always felt that way. And But having a guy like Brady who is so driven uh, and his – He'll never say this, but behind the scenes, I'm sure they're going to be talking about, let's run the table and be the first team to go, well, now it'll be 17-0 in the regular season and then 20-0 overall. Let's be the first team. Let's make history this year. Let's not lose a game. I guarantee you that behind the scenes in the locker room, that's going to be the talk in Tampa this year until if and when they lose their first game. And I will vouch for Gary Myers, uh, even though it would be very advantageous personally for him, for Tom Brady to have another Tom Brady-like year. Mm-hmm. He's given you his honest analysis. He wouldn't uh, tell you that Tom Brady was going to be great if he didn't believe Tom Brady was going to be great. Gary Myers, you were great with us. We thank you for coming on. Uh, no full well. We will reach back to you again as the season gets closer and get you on Birds 365 again. Thanks, buddy. Hey, it's my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Have a great day. Where you get your better podcast, The Goat, uh, with Gary Myers, is a dynamite listen for you diehard football fans out there. All right, we are the Mac and Mac guys. We're running a little late. That's because I overslept. What else is new? Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll come back. We'll put a bow on the show. Keep it right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Yeah, we're running a little late here on Birds 365. That's my fault again. I apologize. Thank Gary Myers for coming on board. And I don't know about you, but I got a kick out of uh, the answer Gary gave me about uh, comparing a coach that he's covered in his days to what we're dealing with here in Philadelphia right now with Nick Sirianni. He went down the Ray Hanley road and the Pete Myers road. Uh, Pete Carroll. I'll take Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, who basically was overmatched as the head coach of the that that's what i thought i go oh my god who the hell did they hire this guy's a knucklehead and damn if he didn't become one of the best coaches in the last 25 years yes the problem with pete carroll is if nick sirianni becomes pete carroll pete carroll didn't become pete carroll until his second job his first one was a flat-out failure and we don't want that here in philadelphia so That's what I've been talking about, Jody, earlier in the week. I mentioned, you know, if you're doing this stuff and it's regarded as different and people look at at you as a goofball, it might work in, you know, your second, third job, but it's probably not going to work in the first job. Uh, That's the concern you have with Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. And we'll see how it all shakes out. But I I love the stories about Jim Fossil and Washington and Dan Snyder. I mean, that's awesome stuff from Gary Myers, but uh, that's what we do here at Birds 365. Yeah, we get uh, great storytellers to come on and give us a helping hand with that. All right, uh, we don't do this often, but one of the things I know we would have gotten into today, if I had been here for the start of the show, again, my bad. Um, we talk a little marijuana tomorrow? Can we talk a little marijuana? <laughs> yeah, we got a conference call. I assume that's where you're going with Roger Goodell and... Uh, I forget the name of the outlet, but it was the marijuana something getting called on in an NFL conference call because they want less uh, opioids and more right. weed. Let's have yeah. it, Jody. So that will be something that we will broach tomorrow here on Birds 365. I don't know where the conversation is going to go, but you're going to have to tune in to find out as the Mac and Mac guys puff up on the upcoming yeah. NFL season. Well done. Uh, 2021. Well done. Uh, again, thanks, Johnny, for covering me. Thanks to Krause. Thanks to Xander. Thanks, everybody else. Again, my apologies. I'm going to go set my alarm now, so I'm ready to be here. When the show starts 22 hours from now, tomorrow's Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.